last fielder. He's gone to the dogs. Welcome to the Gone to the Dogs podcast. One more time, this old gravelly voice on this microphone is Steve Fielder, your host. Uh, Really looking forward to the podcast tonight because, well, actually, we are recording at night. Uh, We're coon hunters, right? We do a lot of our best work in the dark. And uh, I've got a great guest for you today. He's a fellow podcaster, man, and we're going to talk about podcasting. Uh, We're going to kind of try to give you a little behind-the-scenes look at what it's like to uh, try to uh, produce a podcast on a weekly or bi-weekly basis. And so we've got uh, we've got all that uh, coming up. Should be a lot of fun, and we'll be also hearing later on in the podcast from our old buddy up in the hills of Pennsylvania, Mr. Fred Moran, the Redbone Man. But before we get into our guest tonight, I just wanted to spend a couple of minutes to th- thank all of you out there who expressed any kind of uh, condolences, sympathy um, through your text, your emails, your phone calls, um, uh, your posts on social media. Um, after an amazing life of 100 years and 11 days, my mother, Vera Fielder, passed away on March 30th. Uh, we had expected mom to go actually for several years. Uh, you know, as those years started to add up, we thought, well, you know, will she make it through this year? And she was a very uh, hardy, resilient uh, soul. She uh, came from the those famous Hatfields over in eastern Kentucky. Uh, her family was from on the Kentucky side. Many of the Hatfields lived on the West Virginia side of the Tug River there. But anyway, Mother uh, had an amazing life, and her stories uh, will remain with us. Uh, we did have her uh, celebration of life and uh, of her life and a visitation uh, there in Beckley, West Virginia, where I was born and raised. And Several of my coon hunting buddies showed up there for the visitation and funeral. And, and if, in a minute, if I can uh, think of all their names, <laughs> I, I will try to, to name them. But at any rate, it, it was very touching to my brother Randy and me uh, to see that outpouring of your love and your respect for my mother. Just wanted to take this opportunity to publicly say on behalf of Randy and on behalf of my son Christopher and my brother's uh, two daughters, Madison and Miranda, uh, we're all uh, very, very uh, appreciative of of the fact that you did reach out to us in so many ways, flowers and, and just just so many tokens of your love, and, and we just appreciate that so much. That being said, I want to get right into the purpose that we're doing this podcast tonight is to talk to a guy that uh, I've known. uh, Well, let me just tell you who he is. His name is Daniel Felker. And Daniel, do you live in Whitmire, South Carolina? Is that your address? Well, I live in Joanna, but there's only uh, about 15 miles at the most between my house and Whitmire. So it's a straight shot down 66. 
I got you. And that's up in the northwestern corner of South Carolina. Is that not right? Hey, Steve, if somebody looks at a map and they look up Whitmire, it'll be sitting right dead in the middle of Sumter National Forest. Because I'm, I'm originally from Whitmire. That's why I went to school, grew up, and all that. Um, I tell everybody I migrated across Indian Creek when I got married. So <laughs> I ended up in Joanna in 2000. I got you. Well, I don't know if I've been in Joanna. I know our mutual friend David McKee lives outside Whitmire there uh, in the yes, country. Sir. And, of course, I've been to David's house many times. And I'm trying to think, Daniel, how you and I first met. Was it at the World Hunt in Newberry, or did we meet at the Grand American before that? Or, um, Well, I met you really years before when Whitmire Coon Club was doing the kitchen, and you were still with PKC when we were doing the kitchen at the Grand American. You were still with PKC, and you came through with David, and I actually met you then, but I it was just like, you know, in passing. I didn't even really know who Steve Fielder was at the time. Well, you were and, probably better um, for that. <laughs> <laughs> but, but really, the other one was the AKC days. Was, you know, and I mentioned it in the conversation with, with David about um the first time I had emailed you, and I kind of had an attitude, and I was a little bit of a jerk about it, uh, you know. And <laughs> I, I didn't realize how much went on in the planning the world at that time. Well, I tell you, um, I was looking right here to make sure I got this recorder. You and I were talking about recording, and we both use the same type of equipment, and I wanted to be sure here. I want to put a couple uh, mutes on a couple of these inputs here so I don't get any background noise. Yeah, well, you know, you kind of scooped me. Uh, well, before we get into that, let's we're talking all about this podcast. Give our listeners the name of your podcast, a little bit of background on it, and then tell us who who Daniel Felker is. Okay. Um, the name of the podcast is that I do is Coon Hunting Confidentials, but I started the uh, Houndstooth Podcasting Network because I want to eventually evolve into having more types of hound hunting shows on it, something similar to like Houndsman XP, but um not as broad and just kind of keeping it more like the small game stuff that we run with dogs right maybe even you know you know it, that's kind of like what we want to eventually evolve it into something like that but um coon hunting confidentials as long as there are stories and people willing to tell stories that will be the show that i'll put out and produce and um it's kind of like i told you uh, i believe it was in a text a while a couple weeks ago is the way I'm starting to look at this is a little bit different is because I'm looking at it as we're like documentarians. We're documenting these stuff. Even in the conversations, we're documenting them like a documentary type deal, but we're just issuing them out on in episodes in a podcast form instead of like a video form. basically. Right. Well, uh, and I guess our listeners, some of them may be scratching their head a little bit about uh the content, it is unusual, or at least the uh, focus or the mission of your of your podcast, as you discussed it with me. I, I think maybe the first time we discussed it was at the Grand American, but I'm not sure. But anyway, uh, you kind of deal with unusual happenings out there that coon hunters encounter 
while out in the woods. Is that right? Yes, sir. That's putting it mildly, but unusual, unexplained, mysterious, anything like that. Um, and I can tell you what kind of got me into this is, uh, can I go back just for a minute to my childhood? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, when I was a kid, I was probably about three, maybe four. My great-grandmother had died, and uh, it wasn't long after that. I didn't even know she had died. My dad woke up in the middle of the night, and I don't even remember this, but my dad woke up in the middle of the night and said I was sitting at the edge of the bed talking to somebody. And I was like, he's like, who are you talking to? And I'm like, Granny Prince is sitting right there. Can you not see her? And and he got the chills, and he's like, I didn't say nothing. He's like, boy, you need to quit talking like that. <laughs> and so um, I guess it, with, with one of my grandparents being a – Church of God, which is a, a Pentecostal denomination, and my other grandparent being a Pentecostal holiness, I've kind of been around that Pentecostal realm all my life. So hearing stories of like the supernatural and seeing stuff, because I went to a, the Bible college I went to was called the Brownsville Revival School of Ministry. And still to this day, the Brownsville Revival is the longest running revival in American history. And I don't want to get all into that, but that's just kind of like the I have a very spiritual, supernatural worldview on the Bible and just the worldview in general. And so that kind of comes, has been a little bit into my lifestyle, pretty much my whole entire life as far as, but then again, I've liked the stuff like cryptids and, and junk like that. Cryptid, Bigfoot, Dogman, uh, <laughs> you know, I've always, you know, wondered about stuff like that. And then this right here might aggravate or uh, touch a wrong nerve or something because there's so many people that believe they either don't believe that anything like that exists or there are those that do believe that they exist or then there are those that believe that they're more in and out, like have a spiritual quality to them also. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of the way I lean on that subject is, um, and, and I'll tell you, I don't want to get too biblical on you, Steve. No, that's fine. But, but uh, here's my thing. If if a dog man or Bigfoot or any of that is true, if it is real and it is out there, then when I read the Bible that says every knee will, can, will bow and tongue confess, they have knees, and I believe that they will bow one day. <laughs> well, you and I sense? believe the same way, uh, Daniel. And, and, you know, I have— I have always, down through the years in my writing and now in this podcasting thing that I've been doing now for, I guess, going on three years or so, uh, I have not dealt, uh, delved very deeply into religion as such. Uh, I, I don't think there's any question uh, to my listeners or anyone that knows me or has read my writings that I am a believer, I am a Christian, I am born again, uh, I am a basically a fundamental Christian, uh, and uh, I grew up, as you did, uh, uh, with that Pentecostal background. Uh, the church that I attended as a kid and, uh, and happened to be the church that uh, uh, we held my mother's funeral. Uh, just a few days ago, was an Assembly of God church. I mm -hmm. went to uh, Southeast, what is now Southeastern University uh, mm -hmm. in Lakeland, Florida, 
um, for a couple of years. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, I, I definitely get it as far as your background and so forth. And I can see, uh, you know, the, the, the spiritual connection. I think uh, maybe a lot of people that are listeners to us, uh, to, to this podcast uh, have not, you know, had that experience in their life. Uh, and that's not to say um, that I've had experiences that your listeners uh, have had. I certainly have never seen Bigfoot or Dogman or, or any of these uh, characters while I've been out in the woods. But, uh, uh, you know, I was trying in pre- preparation for our conversation today. I was trying to think, you know, Steve, is, can you remember any time when you saw anything that would kind of be, you might expect Rod Serling to, uh, was it Serling or Sterling? Serling, wasn't it? Twilight Zone, did you ever see that show when you were a kid? Absolutely, absolutely. (laughs) As a matter of fact, I don't want to give it away, but um, we're going to do an episode. I think I'm going to slot it for like number 11. Uh, either 11 or 12 and it's going to play a twilight zone episode into it because that one episode led to a discussion between me and dustin that ended up going way <laughs> it went deep it like it, it went yeah. it, it even got biblical yeah, we, oh, we yeah. even yeah. You know, so we were like you know what L- let's bring this a discussion and see mm-hmm. You know, maybe we can get some audience interaction on this thing because we hold two totally separate worldviews as far as the dogs are concerned in our in our lives. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And and uh, um, I don't want to say too much. I don't want to give it away. But the whole topic would it would be is boiled down to, and I'll leave it at this: Does a dog have a soul or not? Hmm. Yeah, and, well, we hear a lot about our dogs crossing the Rainbow Bridge and how we're going to be reunited with them. And I'm not sure I haven't done the study, uh, to uh, a biblical study, to see what the Bible says about that. I really don't know. I do know that there's mentions throughout the Bible of dogs about um, the leper, you know, where the dogs were licking his sores and things like that. But I don't know that for sure. And that's certainly uh, interesting and would be interesting to dig into that to see if we can find any any factual or biblical proof that dogs do go to heaven. Now, I know there's a lot of people out there listening to this probably are saying, my fur babies are in heaven. You know, I know they are, and I know mm-hmm. I'll see see them again someday. I kid Ella all the time about having her fur baby, you know, because a lot of the bunny huggers that we have to deal with out there, you know, yeah. they really put more emphasis on the dogs than they do the people in their lives. But uh, anyway, I, I've kind of got well, down a rabbit path there, uh, Daniel, that's, but that's, that's certainly uh, certainly interesting. And that's why, I, you know, you and I, it wasn't so much of that I went out and tried to recruit you for this podcast. You and I have been talking about podcasting and sharing ideas back and forth for a long time. And, yes, uh, and I've tried to be encouraging and I, and you have been, uh, in my direction for sure. And, uh, 
I just like your podcast, and I I want to. Well, let's let's talk about Daniel Felper. Steve, can I back up for just yeah, a minute? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I'll tell you how the whole idea or, you know, I, I knew a year going beforehand that I wanted to do a podcast. Um, when Dustin got me listening to that one podcast and I started listening to other, a bunch of different ones, um, I was like, man, I kind of want to do this because I like to, I love talking about coon hunting. I'm, I've coon hunted all my life and I'm planning on coon, well, I say all my life, we'll say since I was like 11. So it feels like all my life at this point. But um, I was listening to Tony Merkel's The Confessionals podcast, and I listened to it all the time. And it's a really big podcast. And mm-hmm. so there was an episode that he had come out just, it was last October or something. I can't remember exactly when it came out. It might have been earlier than that in the last year. But um, there was the episode and the guest he had. Of course, he was going by the name Kyle, but that was not his real name. It was like a, a you know made up name they gave him to keep his identity. Right. But he told the story about coon hunting in the um, Daniel Boone National Forest in Kentucky, mm-hmm. and he told the whole encounter he had of a run-in with what he is a, a dog man. And now when I saw it and I was looking, I read the title, I read the description. I'm like, okay, this is my, I want to listen to this. I was like, cause if he, (laughs) if he slips up the least little bit talking about coon hunting, I'm going to be able to tell he's lying. But he said he, he used coon hunting language. Like the dog would hold pressure. He keeps free. He used little things like that. That I was like, okay, he knows the lingo. Right. And then it got to the point where you could hear him and almost the terror in his voice talking about that, talking about his dogs and stuff like that. And when I was listening to it, I already knew that I wanted to do a coon hunting podcast. But when I heard that, I was, it hit me then. I was like, there needs to be somebody who can capture these stories that are coon hunting related, whether they're cryptids, whether they're paranormal, whether it's just unexplainable or heck, even if it's so freaking funny that, it, you know, I'm busting a gut laughing, you know, I, I kind of want to hear those too, but if it's on the woo woo or the unexplained or <laughs> um, anything like that, you know, yeah, it, it, it piques my interest so much and it's like coon hunting. So, and what I've tried to do is, incorporate a, a, a heavy dose of coon hunting talk in my episodes with not just focusing on that story, but kind of they, them, their background, their coon hunting, just talk coon hunting is really oh, yeah. what I want to do. And then, you know, hear these creepy stories that go with it. Well, I but, think, um, you know, when, when I started out podcasting and when Chris Powell and I started the Houndsman XP podcast, uh, you know, coon hunting has been my wheelhouse so to speak you know i grew up in the home of a bear hunter and loved bear hunting and did it for many years but coon hunting was always my first love you know and uh, <laughs> i've i've kind of joking uh, jokingly said you know i wanted to talk about coons and tree dogs and chris wanted to talk about uh, you know everything out there mountain lions bear hunting in the west a lot of legislative stuff, which it appeals to me a lot, too, because I did that as one of my jobs. You know, I was in, I was the vice president of uh, public relations and 
legislative affairs at UKC when I uh, left there and went went over to PKC. So all that stuff's important to me, but the stuff I wanted to talk about was coon hunting. I wanted to talk to coon hunters. I wanted to talk about coon hunting. I wanted to talk about dogs of the past. I wanted to talk about competition, all that stuff. And so, you know, that's kind of where he and I went in different directions. And we amicably, uh, it's a big word, agreed, you know, that that maybe um, this partnership that we had probably wasn't the best thing because we were pulling in different directions. And uh, so anyway, I, I get it, you know, but I, I always wanted to talk about coon hunting, number one, you know, because that's what I do most of the time. Um, Ella will tell you, you know, when the phone rings, she'll say, will you take that in another room if she's watching <laughs> TV or whatever, because she knows she's going to hear one side of a coon hunting conversation, you know. That's right. And she's been there, done that too many times. <laughs> but, yeah, it, well, I was just intrigued by the fact that you were going to. And I, I'll be honest with you, I was a little skeptical at first. I said, how is he going to come up with enough material to produce these shows on a regular basis? Because examining my own experience, I really haven't encountered these. Oh, tell me what a cryptid is. A cryptid would be like something that would be like cryptozoology. Something that the dog foot, big foot, I mean, dog man, big foot, lizard man. <laughs> um, There's a whole, uh, I, I don't know if like, if Nessie, the Loch Ness, I don't know if that, that would fall under a cryptid or, or not that that's just uh, mm -hmm. um you know i'm not sure but something in those and there's a whole plethora of those of those cryptids um and they yeah. differ from ghosts because ghosts would be the spirits of departed human right is that correct or not correct i mean to, to, i really don't know Growing up, it's kind of like you've I've heard these things. It's like, well, if it's a ghost, it's a ghost. Well, it's really a demon presenting presenting itself to be a a, a departed human. And but then there are certain things that I've read in the Bible that lead me to believe that even the disciples be, believed that there were. And I don't put no distinguished difference between a ghost or a spirit because, in essence, when you hear ghost or spirit, what it's it, you break that down, it is a living entity without a body form. Right. Like the Holy Ghost is a living entity without a physical form. Correct. And I was just um, thinking of that same example as, as you were talking. Well, you know, all through uh, history, there have been uh, stories, uh, you know, what kid has not gone camping and and been scared out of their wits by ghost stories. You know, that was all, that's, always that's a tradition, you know, try to scare each other. And so-and-so and, uh, so -and -so, uh, was parked in the car, and they felt something in the back, and they took off, and then when they got down the road, they found a hand 
clasping the bumper of the car or some kind Mm -hmm. of crazy thing like that. And even in music, you know, I I listen to a lot of bluegrass music these days on Sirius Radio with the bluegrass junction and and stuff and that kind of dates me i guess but that's the kind of music i enjoy but oh that's uh, fine i play dobro so i'm good with you oh okay awesome awesome well anyway there's an old song uh, that johnny cash recorded you know she walks these hills in a long black veil uh you know about the uh, nobody knows nobody sees nobody knows but me the story of this a uh, guy that was killed, you know, for apparently he had been fooling around with his best friend's wife, and he ended up going to going to prison for murder, which he didn't really commit. And I don't know; it's it's just one of these big tangled. But uh, the old mountain music um, guys like Ralph Stanley and people like that, they kind of mm-hmm. specialized in doing these old. Uh, you know, songs about death and songs about spirits and 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 all. And, yeah, uh, there was a dark they side to, to things, you know. And, well, well, Steve, I don't mean I don't mean to cut you off, no. but you're from you're from West Virginia. Yes, right. Okay, so um, there's something I've been like looking into here in the last couple of weeks, and that's kind of like mountain magic. Hmm. Or some people call it granny magic. And I'm curious if you've ever, you know, been around that, like the people who could uh, talk a warts off or talk the burn out of somebody. Absolutely. Absolutely. And one of the episodes that we got coming out, it'll either be nine or ten because it's going to be split into two parts. And we actually talked about some of that because I had, uh, when I was a kid, I had the warts talked out of me off of my knee by a guy. And within two weeks, they were, they disappeared. And so I'm like, what Okay. What made that over the phone? And I'm thinking, hmm. and, but when I look into the Appalachians, the Appalachian region where that stuff comes from, you have a, a, a mishmash of, of Scotch, Irish, German, and Cherokee that yes. perfectly merged together in the Appalachians. And from there, it kind of spread out into the Ozarks. And um, there seems to be a resurgence of that, but there's a heavy dose of witchcraft nowadays in the younger generation that is resurging that mountain magic, quote-unquote. But there's something to it to, that made it work. There's, because there's... And it's weird you get to hearing stuff about the seventh son of seventh son or or a female can only hand this gift down to a male and a a male can hand it down. There's so many traditions and lore that go into all of that. So I think that might play some part of the spirituality that went into bluegrass music. Well, uh, yeah, and and aside from the music angle of things, I'm going to share a couple things with you. It's probably going to surprise you, and I know – a lot of my listeners out there are going to say, well, Fielder's finally lost it. You know, we wondered, we, we saw the signs, but he's finally lost it uh, for good now. When I was a kid, I had a very unsightly wart on one of my fingers. It was on the inside of, uh, uh, right next to my index finger, but it was on the next finger, the 
the the ever popular middle finger. And this was a big wart, and it was aggravating, and I would catch things on it, and it would bleed and all this stuff. And I had a friend uh, who told me, he said, my dad can take that wart off for you if you want to, if that thing's bothering you. And I said, well, yeah, you know, I'm all for that because I hate it, you know. And, and of course, Mm -hmm. I guess at that time, as I have done with a dermatologist here in Florida, as you get older, you get these little dry spots and all, and they're precancers and all that, so you have to look after that stuff. So they, they kind of freeze them off. You know, they got a little gun there that they spray. It feels like somebody drove a spike nail right down on top of your head when they do it. But anyway, I said, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. So this one Sunday after church, now let me qualify here. I went to a very progressive church. It was a Pentecostal church. It was a large church. I'd say we had, oh, anywhere from 500 to 1,000 members uh, in that church. And, uh, you know, we weren't taking up the serpents or anything like that. And if you do that out there in podcast land, God bless you. Um, you know, uh, just don't invite me to church because I'm not. Yeah, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> but no, anyway, uh, we've really got off in the in the weeds here, uh, Daniel. But I think this is good. I think at least it'll be entertaining. So anyway, after church, uh, this fellow's name was Manuel, and his first name really was a great guy and. Uh, Used to talk about hunting and stuff with him. He wasn't a coon hunter, but he uh, he had hunted and all. Uh, but he he was a coal miner um, and maybe retired by that time. But he said, uh, Charlie, his son, says, told me you got a, a wart there. And I said, yeah. He said, let me see that thing. And all he did, Daniel, as they say, as Jerry Clower would say, with my hand up, all he did was take his thumb and rub around on that wart. And he said, okay. He said, now you just forget about that wart. Don't even think about it. Anytime you think uh, or apt to think about it, just change the subject. Just think of something else. And I'll tell you that that wart totally disappeared off my finger, and I don't know when it did. I can't mm-hmm. say all of us, just one time, I just happened to look down there, and it was gone. And it's just as as uh, s- smooth as it is today, you know. So, uh, you know, that was an incident. Now, when I shared that story with my dad, he t- my dad was in Middle Tennessee, just west of Dixon, uh, just west of Nashville in a town called Dixon, Tennessee, and in the country there. They had a lady that was had the reputation of being able to remove warts. He had a wart that was, he said it was a big one, and it was right at his hairline. And when he would comb his hair, he'd hang his comb in it, and it would bleed. He went to see her. She gave him a needle and told him to go bury that needle and not tell anybody where he buried it. He did what she said. 
He's never, and of course, my dad passed in 2008, and he told me, Steve, to this day, I've never told anybody where I buried that needle, and I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> the wart went away. Now, how do you explain this stuff? You know, <laughs> I, I I don't I don't know how to explain it. Um, I tell you, like my grandmother, she her um, my granddad was a Church of God pastor, and he was all my life until he retired. And um, if he makes it to June or July, I can't remember which one it is. He'll be ninety. So awesome, awesome. Um, but my my grandmother, I've seen her do this with so many people, to where she would hold a needle and a thread over a woman's wrist and be able to tell exactly how many kids it's like it, i've seen it it's like it'll move up and down like in a straight line or it'll start to wobble in a circle and it, she can tell you exactly what that kid's going to be and it'll tell you it's like it, it's weird how she does that but she's like held it over like so many people's wrist and it and just held it there and even it's like well it, it'll spin and then it'll stop and then it'll spin and she's like okay you've had a male You've had a female, you've had a male, somebody, like and you're going to have a such and such. I mean, it's, it's weird. But I'm like, and <laughs> she's like maybe three, I think her granddad was full-blooded Native American down in the lower part of the state. I think they they were part of the like the mm-hmm. PD Indians mm-hmm. or uh, somewhere in there. They're close relative to the Lumbees. But right. she was like three quarters of that. And... I don't know if that had it. That's where she learned it from. I don't know, but I and I've never understood what makes all this little, these little things like that. Oh yeah. How and it's like, how do you take a willow switch and and find water? You know, a fork, fork exactly. You know, a divining rod they call it or whatever. There's a lot mm-hmm. of phenomena out there, and you know, I could get in a whole discussion, and we should sometime on this podcast talk about. The Quadro Tracker, which was a uh, a, ret- uh, a, a retrieval collar, uh, uh, tracking collar, uh, that was being marketed one time back when I was at UKC, <laughs> based on the on the principle that uh, there's a magnetic field within uh, nature. And within our bodies and within the animals' bodies and all of the, I'll get into. Uh, we're really getting kind of off uh, oh, yeah, into deep, deep weeds here, uh, but but you know, there's just so many things that are unexplainable, you know. And I I think I've been listening to your podcast and I enjoy the stories. You know, the best I could come up with is back in the mountains when I was a kid. You know, they talked about hearing a, as they called them, a panther screaming, you know. Mm -hmm. It sounded like a woman in travail. In other words, a woman going through birth pains. Uh, You know, that that's what it sounded like and all. I never ever heard that i know clay newcomb uh on his bear grease podcast has delved into the 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 idea of whether or not there are black panthers in the the u.s and i don't want to get into all of that he and he doesn't believe there are and his dad believes that there are black panthers and and all that but at any rate there's a lot of that law i always called it folklore that was in the mountains in the southern Appalachians where I grew up and you grew up, um, 
and uh, it, it, there's just a lot of things that are unexplainable. How do how do you go about finding these stories that you re, that you record? Uh, so far, I've just been kind of just reaching out to certain people. I put a couple fillers out on Facebook to try to see, you know, get some res- responses back. And I had a couple on those. And then, um, had, like one guy was like, well, I know I have a friend of mine and, you know, he's got some stories. So I got in touch with him. I haven't released his yet. That's the ones I'm going to split into the inmate too, because he had a lot. It was a really good conversation and it went so long. I'm like, you know, it's enough. I can make two out of this. So, um, do I, ha- I don't have a whole lot of people that's like bombarding me with stories, but at the same time, I don't think there's a whole lot of coon hunters that, that know that I'm out there looking for them either. Um, because it's like, like, for instance, I was on a competition hunt the other, this past Friday night and one of the guys on my cast, we got to talking and he's like, yeah, man, I listen to podcasts all the time. I listen to, um, W Houndsman XP Coon Hunt University, although, and uh, I mentioned mine. He's like, man, I didn't even know you had a podcast. I was like, is like, are you on Facebook? And it surprised me when he said, man, I don't even fool with Facebook. So it dawned on me. I was like, how many more people don't really mm-hmm. fool on like social media like that? Right. So you know, I'm really, I'm, I'm tracking them down, and I'm wanting to hear them. Hear them. I, I had two guys earlier on that were telling me, you know, they wanted to tell me their stories, and then when it got time to record, I got put. They put me on mute, and wouldn't even. It's like I didn't. I don't know. And I and then I got to thinking. I kind of felt bad about that. Like I had done something, but I'm like, you know what? I don't got time to be worrying about if some if they don't want to tell their story, they don't want to tell their story, right. and if they back out of it, that might. It, I tend mm-hmm. to think that you know it might not have been true. Well, it's so, so, know, yeah, and that's true. You know, they may, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, like a lot of those ghost stories that I mentioned before. You know, obviously, were creations of somebody's uh, somebody's mind, a Stephen King type, I guess, on a, to a lesser degree. But uh, there definitely are unexplainable things in our world, and to be able to link those to the sport of coon hunting, I think it was it was a, a brilliant idea, and uh, it, it's been very entertaining. Uh, what again is the name of your podcast, and where can they find you, Daniel? Um, if they search on just about any platform other than Pandora, if they search Hounds Tooth Podcasting Network, and Hounds Tooth will be two words. Um, if they search that, then that'll be all the episodes of Coon Hunting mm-hmm. Confidentials right there. I and uh, I, I, I'll tell you how Houndstooth, I, I run a little feed store. I opened up about four years ago. Mm-hmm. It was in 2018. I opened it up and I named it Houndstooth Outdoors. And I, I played, there used to be a bar in Clinton a year, long time ago called the Houndstooth. And I, you know, it was open long, I mean, it was closed long before I um started coming around in this area over in Lawrence County. But I heard old timers talk about the hounds too. I was like, that'd be a cool name for a store or something you one bet. day. And it's just yeah. always been in the back of my mind. And then I thought about hounds tooth. And then I thought about the phrase a sweet tooth. And then I come up with like this phrase like feed your obsession that played <laughs> off of the sweet tooth, hounds tooth. But at the same time, I feed my obsession by every time I turn my dog loose, I'm feeding my own obsession. So in return, I need to feed my dog good dog food that 
is, uh, you know, feeding him. So, you know, I got to feed my obsession in two different ways. One, physically by feeding my dog and second, by turning my dog loose in the woods. And so when I, I just kind of played with that and then I was like, you know what, I'm going to, I want to do this. I'm going to call it the Houndstooth Podcasting Network because I'm recording everything right here inside the store. Yeah. And, um, well, yeah, that's good. It, it, well, you know, I came up with the, uh, the name Gone to the Dogs podcast uh, actually was a spinoff of the book that I wrote. And the reason I named the book Gone to the Dogs, A Coon Hunter's Journey, was uh, two twofold. One was that's what my mother always told my dad. And she'd look out the kitchen window at all those dogs out there in the pen and say to my dad, whose name was Homan, we've gone to the dogs. You know, you got too many dogs out there. <laughs> and, and that was a common expression in our community or in my part of the world. If you kind of weren't doing too well, <laughs> you'd gone to the dogs. <laughs> and, then yes, the, and then the other part of that was, as I use on the, the opening in my intro for the podcast, uh, the pickup truck goes down the gravel road, stops, the window rolls down. The voice says, where's Fielder? The voice comes back, he's gone to the dogs. In other words, he's he's on the way to the tree. And those yeah, voices, like a, yeah, go ahead. It's like a double entendre. Yeah, right. <laughs> Thank you. Well, and, and I think I've announced or mentioned that before, but when I when I wanted to get those voices, the the voice one voice that I wanted to definitely get was probably one of the best known coon hunters in the country and certainly one of the hardest coon hunters in the country and that's Frank Giddings in uh, Michigan. So the voice that says he's gone to the dogs is Frank Giddings, and the one that says where's Fielder is his son Rob, and. <laughs> Uh, those guys worked with me and then Shannon at the uh, at W Supply, who does the production of, of all of the DU, uh, the Hound podcast uh, shows, uh, and does a great job. She put the, put that all together for me. So that's kind of how that spun off. So yeah, that that's interesting. Well, listen. Uh, you you have a format where there's you and a couple of your buddies at the store there, right? Or at the feed store where uh, yes. I, I think you're the one that uh, probably broke podcast history or broke uh, uh, the ice on uh, shoot actually shooting wild game on a podcast. <laughs> tell yes, me about your problem? tell me about your partners there in crime who they are and how you guys all got together and then tell our listeners about that little incident uh, um well with my buddy ryan james i've known him since so oh, man he was probably he started coon hunt with me when he was probably in the 12 or 13 year range and uh, he, he lived right down the road and they started coming to the Whitmire Coon Club, and he just started going with me. And um, we just kind of—I don't—I'm trying to think how old he is. He might have just turned thirty, and I'm forty, forty-two. So there's about that twelve-year difference in between us. 
And so um, he started hanging around, and then we just become like almost like best friends ever since then. And um, Dustin, I worked with Dustin for a, several years, but you know we didn't really we talked, but we didn't really hang out or anything like that. And um, then he got into he he sent me a text last over a year ago and he said want to go coon hunting because he had only been like once or twice and he didn't go with any good dogs at all and so i was like yeah man you, we can go and so we just kind of really become a good friend you know became good friends then as far as over the last year we've known each other we just never hung out or anything like that and then you know he got to telling me about the podcast, and I got to listening to the podcast, and we still we was coon hunting together. Then we got to where we would be talking and discussing back and forth what the podcast, what we talked, you know, what they talked about, and which ones we listened to, and stuff like that. I, and I had mentioned it to him earlier before about uh, you know I had been thinking about doing a podcast, and somewhere around November. I approached Dustin. I was, and I had and what I really did when I had the idea of I wanted to know. I, I knew I wanted to do a coon hunting podcast, but I wanted to do it different. I wanted to throw in um, a co- combination of about five other different podcasts that I listen to that are not coon hunting related. Kind of, um, and I'll give, I'll tell you what they are. One is Blurry Creatures, who take kind of on the same topics and stuff, but they have a very Christian um slant to their podcast also Mm -hmm. um and so you know i I use a lot of their influence as far as like how i do like music in the middle and try to do like some background music and play some stuff in there and um there was just like a couple different ones and i wanted to combine them and i was like well if i can take these and combine them and add this comedy and this creepy and coon hunting and i'm like Ryan James is the best one for comedy because there's not a day that he that we're together that he does not make me laugh. At He's something. a funny guy. <laughs> and, um, I have to edit a lot of his content out. <laughs> well, I'm sure you know, but oh. people are are you know naturally funny or they aren't, you know, and and it just flows out of him. Yeah. So they're they're all three dog guys. Mm-hmm. Um, Dustin, he's real. He's more heavy on the squirrel hunting end, right? Um, but I knew that there was a level of uh, you know I wanted to get him in on on this because I knew I just felt like there was something that he would bring to the show on top of you know with me and Ryan and sometimes we play off of each other. Sometimes we answer each other. Sometimes we finish each other's sentences. It is so weird. Mm. My oldest son calls Ryan my oldest son, and my <laughs> wife says that he's my brother from a different mother. And yeah. <laughs> well, it's great um, when you it, find that kind of chemistry, you know, and you kind of work together and you pull. You've got to have uh, everybody pulling in the same direction, you know. Everybody's unique. Everybody has their own twist to the thing. But at the same time, the goal's the same, you know, and it, it works for you guys. It really does. I I find it to be very entertaining. Uh, it's not all always 100% coon hunting, which I certainly our podcast here tonight has not been. Uh, but if it's interesting and it holds the, 
the listener's attention than that. That says a lot, and uh, I like that. <laughs> it's kind of funny. Uh, we say uh, when I came aboard this uh, W Hunting Supply uh, network or platform here, Buddy Woodbury, who owns W, uh, Buddy's known for just telling it like it is. You know, he's he's mm-hmm. pretty straightforward. He's uh, uh, Jason Doobie is kind of his uh, his front man. You know that everybody loves Jason, uh, Buddy. It takes a while. <laughs> for, forgive me, Buddy, but he knows this. And uh, but anyway, Buddy told me he said, "Well, now you know we want you to do this podcast, and we're going to offer this platform for you, and it'll be your podcast, and you can do whatever you want with it. You own it. We don't own it. You want to take it and go somewhere else with it? That's fine and all. But he he said I he said I think you're uh, going solo. It's which I wanted to do." After having partnerships in the past, you know, he mm-hmm. said, I think that's going to work better for you. And, and I, I really believe it has. Uh, but oh, I, I do, too. Do you really? Yeah. Yes. Sir. Yeah, I believe it's kind of like um, it, it, you have you found your niche in your your style that fits, that is works really well. And not that the other didn't work well. I just, it's a different feel. It's a different flow. And, and I look forward to it. And not that I look forward to all of them. Oh, it's yeah. like Coon University. They right. have, they've like evolved in, into their niche and feel. And, and right. so the same with like Houndsman XP and expect like with Josh Michaelis on there on third with the truth. They usually right. issue right. those on right. Thursdays. Right. So, it, it, you know, yeah, I think it's, I, I think it works. It has worked for you. Well, it's what you see is what you get, you know. And uh, but people have told me in the past they like stories, you know. And and of course, I certainly, after all those these years, have a lot of stories, and I like to share them. And I think anybody my age does. And so that's kind of what what I'm doing. And what I've tried to do with this show is maybe not so much search out the superstars or the big winners, although I don't want anybody to misunderstand. I admire those people. I think it's interesting to tell their stories. I I like to hear about their dogs. I like to know, hear about what they've won. I particularly enjoyed having um, uh, our friend uh, Jason Darty on, Darty on, uh, the podcast and, uh, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, he's been, uh, involved in competition hunting for quite a while has a tremendous story. But anyway, I, I, rather than just seek out those, uh, guests and those stories, I like to do what we're doing tonight. Try to talk to people that might have a little, uh, different story. You know, I had, uh, uh, well, this week as we're recording this, my friend Calvin Redhouse, uh, who is a Native American Navajo Indian, uh, I guess to say Indian and Native American both together may be uh, po- politically incorrect. <laughs> if I if I uh, offended you, Calvin, I'm sorry. <laughs> But no, uh, you know, he's on uh, this week and uh, talking about 
the Navajo Nation out there, uh, 17 million acres of some of the most beautiful country you'll ever see in your life. And uh, and just to approach that angle and and then uh, the next week before this one airs, uh, there will be a, a conversation with a gentleman named Ed Zorn in Texas who's in his 90s and still coon hunting. And uh, just to kind of seek out those stories, you know, I, uh, is, is my aim. And uh, I know in, at one time I got a lot of good uh, uh, correspondence back when I did the stories about some of the older dogs in history and told their story. And I'm going to do a little more of that because people enjoy that sort of thing. But really, uh, Mr. Steve, can I throw a suggestion out there? Yeah, absolutely. I need them. Uh, There's this one dog and I don't remember which podcast I mentioned it in, or if it's even released yet. I don't, I don't remember, but I've mentioned spring Creek rock and I've heard a lot about spring Creek rock and, if there was any dog that I would like to know more about, or mm-hmm. actually if I could go back in time and mm-hmm. see go, I, that's the one I would choose because I've heard that name so much in the past. Yeah, and he he surely was um, um, an outstanding hound and reproducer and belonged to one of the nicest fellows that you'd ever meet in your life, Dwayne Clark, uh, from uh, out there in Joplin, Missouri. And Dwayne, many of the wins and on rock and the dogs that Dwayne had were achieved by his buddy Mike Boone. And unfortunately, uh, well, Dwayne has passed uh, a few years ago. I was fortunate to see him at the 50th anniversary of the uh, Tree and Walker Breeders and Fanciers Association meeting or walker days in portland indiana and i got to be in a picture with Dwayne clark mr john shetler who had shetler's sunny boy the sire of finley river chief and then also james merchant was in that photo and i put that photo in my book and it really is one of my favorite photos uh, of all time but Dwayne was just a tremendous guy and as far as I know, Spring Creek Rock was the first coon hound that was collected uh, for frozen semen. Uh, a veterinarian named Randy Fralick from Texas uh, got involved with, uh, um, I can't remember right now the name of their company, uh, and I know the, the, the individual's names very well. They approached us at UKC with the idea of, of uh, uh, collecting stud dogs and DNA, uh, uh, the DNA angle on hounds and all years ago. But anyway, Randy Fralick collected Spring Creek Rock. And so he was one of the first. And then I think House's Lipper may have been the next one that he collected. So, yeah, you bring up a, a really uh, great hound in history, and uh, I'll try to do a little digging. Maybe we can come up with something. I just heard about his tracking ability. It was mm. extremely great. Yeah, I don't know well, whether that's true. I, mean, I, I don't know. I don't know a whole lot about him. I just heard that, you know, it was like if you wanted a good track dog, you needed mm-hmm, some Spring Creek mm-hmm, Rock in him. Mm-hmm. I see. 
Yeah, well, I didn't research too much on rock uh, back in the days that rock was uh, so very popular. You know, I was in my personal dogs. I was involved with the plot dogs. Uh, professionally, you know, I was at UKC and and uh, and well, shortly following that, following Rock, uh, and so I was kind of involved with the, all the breeds and also. But yeah, that's a great suggestion, and there's so many of them back there in history mm, yeah. that I think guys would really enjoy. Uh, uh, you know, hearing about. Well, what what's going on with you with your personal dogs and with your hunting activities? Oh, hunting, I slowed down a little bit. I'm still coon hunting. I coon hunted, uh, let's see, this Friday night at Whitmire, we had a doubleheader UKC hunt, and I hunted my walker female. Um, Made a little noise, I won, didn't you? I, I won my, the first round on the doubleheader, I won my cast. I had 300 plus. The second round, we had a dead cast. And then Monday night, we had a PKC hunt. And um, no, I didn't have, I had 300 plus on Monday night at the PKC hunt. Mm-hmm. The, I had 225 at the UKC hunt. And all those were just like one hours. But yeah. she looked good on Friday, the early round. And Saturday, I meant the late round Friday. I don't know what they did. They all got deep out of pocket, got they all went crazy directions. It was, they went a weird way that I've hunted in that area a bunch. I've never had dogs that high-tailed it across a field like they did. They went a long ways across an open field. I'm like, what are these freaking dogs doing? So it was just a bad, it was a bad cast. And uh, let's see, then Monday, yeah, my dog Echo, she looked good Monday. <laughs> she looked really good. Um, But other than that, I've just been hunting, coon hunting and, well, when we, uh, I kind of learned about that area that you hunt there, of course, through my, our mutual friend, David McKeewee. You had David on the podcast. Listeners, probably everybody knows David. He, certainly anybody that's gone to the Grand American or been in South Carolina coon hunting uh, for any length of time at all. And then also with the AKC hunts, know David McKee. Can mm-hmm. can we just swell his head just a little bit here? Uh, <laughs> okay. Have you ever met a more unselfish, caring, <laughs> just all round nice guy in your life than David McKee? I don't think I have. Well, I would say I could say yes, sir, because I would put my grandfather my the one that's almost 90 i would put yeah. him in that category yeah, yeah but in, yeah. The, in the coon hunting world no sir yeah. No, yeah even outside of my grandfather even outside of the coon hunting world i would say no sir yeah um, david and i became friends through a mutual well actually through lee kearns uh yes, and i think lee and and dave david and and debbie had did have a tragedy in their life where their son was killed in an automobile accident, a very talented young man, uh, athlete, uh, student, uh, you know, just uh, something that should never happen to a family. And uh, Yes, sir. Uh, but Lee Kearns, I think, had, uh, had kind of mentored David's boy uh at the hunts or maybe shows and so forth and uh 
And so that's how I met David and, and Lee was going when I, let's see, when I went to PKC, one of the reasons uh, Larry Meeks hired me was to start a bench show program for PKC. I uh, mm-hmm. wanted to, to have money shows to go along with money hunts. And so um, Lee Kearns was a tremendous help to me during those days. And uh, as far as helping me to set up the shows, uh, transporting all the materials, the benches and all that to the shows and and all. But anyway, um, Lee was going down to um, Johnny Brinkley's in Tallahassee, Florida. Uh, and, of course, I'd been friends with Johnny for years, but Johnny and Laquita, his wife, are just two salt-of-the-earth people, too. And uh, anyway, so when we were doing the show at the Sunshine Jamboree in Thomasville, Georgia, Lee uh, encouraged me to go down to Johnny's uh, with him after we got the dogs all drawn out that night to go coon hunting. I think it was Lee and and one of his boys and I think uh, H.L. Meyer from uh, Georgia and, and some of us went down and went coon hunting and and David was there, and we, and from that, I, well, I think I actually hired David to do the show. I think that's how it really all started there at Thomasville. And then every year at the UKC Grand America, or no, uh, uh, what is it, uh, Winter Classic in Albany, mm-hmm. Georgia, we would, uh, David and I would go a few days early down to Johnny Brinkley's and we'd pleasure hunt for all about three nights before the, the winter classic. And we did that for years and years and years. So that's how I met David. And, uh, he and I have logged a lot of miles together. And then when I went to AKC, uh, got to hire him as a field rep and all. And that was a real uh, pleasure for me, uh, too. So David and I are tight. I I like that guy. Yes, sir. He's a good guy. (laughs) He really is. Um, I mentioned it on the episode with with him is kind of how we came about is when I was a kid, he was my little league football coach and I always saw that dog box in the back and I, it ended up when that whole event to where I got to go coon hunting for the first time came about. It was David was one of the ones that was there. And so I, it, it was just, it, it was meant to be, I reckon, mm-hmm. as far as him being my coach beforehand and stuff like that. But, yeah, I've known David all my life. He's a good guy. We used to um, – his stepdaughter, Faith, and I, we still talk a lot. Well, not a lot, not as much as we used to, but we still reach out and stay in contact and all that. She actually listens to the show. She's the one who told me that that where she works, that the women on – where, where she works, the women listen to our show. But they like the creepy stories and the men like the hunting stories. I got you. And I'm like, I'm like, what's up with the women liking the creepy stories? <laughs> I, I don't get it. But it was like, I don't, I don't understand it. Yeah. But, um, yeah, we used to go swimming over there all the time during the summer, and just uh, there was probably about three summers in a row to where I, I felt like I, that we lived at David and Debbie's house mm-hmm. all summer long. Yeah. I mean, it was like we was over there every day almost. Well, I heard the name Daniel a lot of times over those years. So, 
Yeah. <laughs> I can't tell you whether what reference I was getting that, whether, but I think it, it was all good. positive. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, well, what's this? Uh, I guess I'm kind of bouncing around here, uh, Daniel. Uh, that's fine. That's fine. PKC's been doing that for the last five, six months. You good? <laughs> well, I understand that. <laughs> Well, they, I, you know, I, you know, in Shannon, she might have to delete this out. Ain't that her name? Yes, that's our producer. Yeah, right. she might have to delete this because I, I made a comment. I was like, "What is up?" I said, "Is the P in PKC standing for ping pong?" Because all we're doing is going back and forth on stuff. On the rules, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, Somebody told, "Oh, I, I love this," and we're talking about it. I don't have any problem talking about other podcasts. I don't. I'm not in competition with anybody that's out there presenting the sport of coon hunting in a positive way or tree dogs or whatever, you know, not Mm -hmm. at all. But I listened to the interview with Kevin Cable on Coon Hunting University, and I've mentioned this already on a podcast, and I don't want to get Tyler Duncan's head swelled up too big here, but... Uh, Kevin said something on that podcast that I thought was great. He asked him, said, Kevin, if you're the guy that can change the rules, write the rules, be responsible for rules, nobody else but you with PKC, what would you do? And he said, I'd go back and get about a, a yearbook from about six years ago and put all those rules in effect without all these changes. And I thought that was epic. <laughs> I you said, know, yeah, Steve, Kevin, I'm with you there, buddy. I listened to that, and I heard him say that when I listened to that episode. And my only thing is, is I'm, I loved the AKC strike rule. And mm. especially with that first minute rule, that yeah. would be the only change. If I could get a hold of, you know, I could make those changes. That would be the change that I would make. Because mm. I despise a dog that goes in on 100 on a babble. Well, I you, despise that. Yep. Well, you've struck a nerve there with me. And, I, you know, I watch these conversations on uh, social media. And these guys invariably it'll roll or on the PKC message board or the UKC forum or wherever. And they'll start talking about uh, babbling dogs. And right away they'll say, well, you ought to do this and you ought to do that and do this and that. And that. And I'm thinking, you know, when Jerry Maul, David McKee, uh, Jimmy Phillips, and Lindell Price and I sat down and wrote the AKC Coonhound Rules, we had a new program starting there in, uh, well, it was uh, in, when did I go to AKC? It was early 2004. 2004. We, I believe, came up with as nearly Perf, uh, as near perfect a rule to handle the babbling dog as you could possibly conceive. And mm-hmm. yet, that it was grossly re- uh, ignored by the other registries. And it, it just makes it so, so easy to deal with that. And, and why that has not well now we did have a few people that said well you can't tell me I can't strike my dog that's my God given right to strike my dog well no it's not it's whatever the rules say that's what you can do 
in that That's particular right. registry. But, you know, that thing, I used to, you know, I went around the country uh, uh, talking to coon clubs, and, man, we knocked it out of the park. When we started that AKC thing and got the rules and I got that team together, we went from AKC having about 30 events a year. We were having, we were scheduling like 2,500 a year. And we I were just it. wiping out uh, the back end of uh, the AKC Gazette with the listings of all the Coonhound events. And, uh, you know, AKC was really, really happy with the way things were going. But the sad part was that really in AKC's defense, the coon hunters didn't do what they needed to do to make that a successful program, and that was to register their litters with AKC. And I understand why they didn't. They had UKC already as a registry with the pad pedigree, which is an excellent pedigree showing the number of pups and the number of titles. And then PKC, although not as good in terms of the pedigree information as UKC, it still had the sires and dams and the ancestry with the amount of money that they won. And mm -hmm. the AKC pedigree was basically pretty benign. It would basically just had whatever they could copy off a of, off of UKC paper. So that was a, a, a problem for AKC. But at the same time, you know, they invested a lot of money in uh, coon hunting back in those days when they hired, not that they gave it all to me, but they did. We, you know, I had a considerable budget. We gave away a couple really nice pickup trucks. We had, you know, thirty, forty thousand dollar first prize at the, at the World Hunt and things like that. But the coon hunters just didn't really follow suit with it. But what we did on, and you know this well, I'm sure, but we said that during the first minute, no dog can be declared struck unless that strike call was immediately followed by a tree call. Mm -hmm. If you could strike and tree your dog, boom, get after it, man. Grab it. If your dog, if you treed that dog and he uh, left that tree, then he would still carry that 100 strike points. Carry it on. But any mm -hmm. dogs that were barking as the minute expired would go in for 50 strike points. So instead of having a 75-point <coughs> a, uh, deficit between a babbling dog and an honest strike dog that maybe got out there and did find a coon track after the minute was up and would, in most cases, end up striking for a quarter. Uh, it's a... Go ahead. That deficit is easier to overcome on a one-hour hunt with just going in. If the dog's going in for fifty or twenty-five in that order, yeah. like that, I mean that deficit is is easier than say you got that seventy-five point split between you or however. If you got right. a dog that strikes on the low end, mm -hmm. um, you know, it, right? Because it, and this is what I used to always tell. I've stood before coon club after coon club after coon club. Talking about the AKC rules when we first started that program, I said when we strike, when we tree a dog, we declare that dog treed right there. We look at the compass, say he's northeast. Okay, we know how you know. 
that dog has to stay right there in that location. We go directly to him when the time limit is up. We leash that dog, and we, you know, we award him those three points, plus, minus, or circle, okay? Because we know what that dog is do, has done. But when we release a dog and he opens and we give him 100 strike points, he could be doing anything. He could be barking at the water. He could be barking, barking at the fence. He could be barking at off game. He could be barking just because he's happy to be out there in the dark. And we're giving him 100 points, okay, for doing that when we don't have a clue. And it's most apt to happen right when you release the dog. It's when he's most apt to be babbling like that. Mm-hmm. And so it, it, to me, it was just a common sense, simple way to deal with all these claims of these dogs opening off the chain, getting struck. And the next time you hear them, they're three quarters of a mile in there and you and, and they're treed. What have they been doing between point A and point B, you know? And exactly. and really, the AK, UKC is even now basically uh, eliminated the requirement that the dogs bark on track. You know, that was always a, re- a requirement that the dogs had to be open trailers, you know. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. But that's just an old guy up on his stump, you know. But that's why we wrote that rule that way. And I think it's still in AKC rules, is it not? As far as I know, I haven't yeah. hunted an AKC hunt right. in quite some time. Well, I, unfortunately, you know, the AKC program did not uh, last over the long term. And there was a lot of reasons for that. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it uh, <laughs> to me, that was just the very simplest way. You just don't award those points at a time when the dogs are most apt to be babbling. And guys said, well, you know, my dog's on the strike dog. He don't know. Well, that's always the story. You know, oh, yeah. I, I judged a dog in 2016 at the UKC World Hunt Greencastle and opened every breath every time her foot hit the ground. <laughs> and after about the third drop we made, of course, in UKC hunting, these guys like to kind of pick them up and move with them and all. I told him, I said, I believe your dog could strike a coon in the Walmart parking lot with <laughs> shit. Everybody in the cast laughed, but, you know, that really, we're, we're giving a lot of dogs a lot of points for simply barking. And that's just my opinion. It's a good opinion. It's it's true. That's um so like you turn a cast loose, then that one dog barks. I mean, I've seen this happen a couple different times. That one dog it opens up time you cut that dog loose and goes in for a hundred. And I've seen that dog not shut its mouth, period, right. and bark until it got under a coon. Yeah. And okay. I'm like and, and it's like there's no way that dog is striking a coon like that every freaking time you cutting that dog loose. <laughs> I mean, can you, the dog's getting under the meat, so you can't really knock it for that. But that dog uh, is, is every breath barking from the time you cut it loose to the time it gets treed. And well, it makes hunters, it aggravating to a certain extent when you draw a dog like that. Because yeah. Well, coon hunters live in the world of possibilities. Everything's possible. 
guy brings in 3,000 points a night, somebody in the clubhouse say, well, it's possible. <laughs> mm. You know, it's possible. Yeah, and I used to say, yeah, it's possible for lightning to strike a coon, you know, and knock it out of the tree. And the dog yeah. bite, uh, catch it at the base of the tree and, and just get strike points <laughs> instead of striking tree points. But mm -hmm. how many times did you see that happen, you know? Oh, I don't know. But we like to make those old excuses, don't we? I mean, you know, that's another, yeah. that's a whole podcast right there on the coon, coon Absol hunting absolutely. excuses. I never saw him do that before. <laughs> <laughs> that's true <laughs> right hey i wanted to touch on a little subject with you since i've got your ear and uh we've been at this hour and 16 minutes already daniel and man it's just flown for me and there's a lot of stuff that you probably want to talk about but, but we mentioned this a little bit in there in pre-recording earlier um i don't want to put you on the spot because it would That's be fine. kind of like a loaded question if I were to ask you this point blank, but I would ask our listeners this question. How important is integrity in the game of coon hunting? In other words, yeah. how important is it to play by the rules, to have a level playing field for all contestants? And to deal with situations where people, you know, we all know what happens. We don't like oh, yeah. to talk about it because it casts a bad light on our sport. And it's not the goal of this podcast, and I'm sure you don't have that goal either, to cast a negative light on coon no, sir, never. And, and I'll say this about the negative light. You know, Tyler Duncan and I, we spent a good bit of day talking back and forth on Facebook Messenger. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, I, and I've made it clear to him and you, and I've mentioned it on podcasts before, that I'm not going to get in competitive with any of the other podcasters because I think in, in some ways social media has hurt coon hunting. And the last thing coon hunting needs is for podcasters going back and forth. And so, you know, oh, I'm yeah. not, I, it's, it's all about the betterment of the sport. Correct. Because uh, is this the golden age of coon hunting or is it not? It is the, the kind of a debate. And even if it is, the last thing it needs is for us to lose our integrity on a public platform with each other. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, well, that's what I've tried to make very, very clear and, and just kind of, uh, discussing and uh, where, you know, Josh Michaelis and I, who does the truth portion of the Houndsman XP, uh, you know, tend to disagree a little bit about, you know, is this the golden age or, you know, perhaps what I remember. And I had a conversation with another well-known figure in the uh, Coonhound world just this week about that. Yes, and and, and, it, and that's just discussion. That's just matters of opinion. Mm -hmm. There's certainly no conflict whatsoever, you know, between that. Just yeah. coon hunters. Have you ever seen coon hunters disagree on anything? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, but go ahead. Especially now. if there's a... Uh, as far as the integrity and the competition hunts, yes, I, th I think integrity 
is once somebody loses that integrity, it's hard to get that integrity back. Yeah. And um, it, there are certain things now, if it's slick handling, that's one thing like, you know, getting around a rule or kind of interpreting a rule a certain how you might interpret it, you know, kind of. But as far as like the integrity of there's got to be a border, a line in there somewhere, because there are some people that are going to think they got cheated anytime they don't win. The hunt, oh, yeah. When they, Absolutely. You know, when they're cast. Absolutely. And so, you know, them getting on Facebook and bickering about that, it kind of throws a negative light onto yeah. the competition coon hunting aspect of it also. But it, with with what the competition side of it, I look at it as a lot like – um. I don't think you, there's going to be some people that that old phrase, if you're not cheating, you're not trying <laughs> that they're going to be trying to do something because it's in every, if if you get into like dirt track racing, you're going to find the same thing. Oh, if yeah. you get into like any type of competitive atmosphere in that, that type of realm, uh, there's going to be other, they're going to try like little things and there's going to be, and sometimes it might, you know, get them in, bite them in the butt and sometimes they might get away with it for a little while um so like if somebody were to like pitch eyes in a tree i had no idea that was a thing until a couple of years ago and no idea people would try to pitch eyes in a tree yeah and, i think uh, i was there when it started and in fact i've got uh, quite a few sets that have been collected down through the years <laughs> you know yeah so i mean there's little things like that that uh yeah. Well, okay. Once, this once, is once you get barred for a, a certain a certain thing. Once you get barred, if it's at a, you know at a big level that you got barred, barred for life, barred, and it's hard to get your integrity back in the coon hunting world with something like that, especially if it was on a, a high end level of cheating. Well, here's the thing with me. Uh, you know, of course, I worked for three different registries. And I was a president of a national breed association, a breed representative, and that meant that my kind, my job was kind of to look after the breed out there. And if there were dogs, let's say, that didn't meet the breed standards that were obviously not purebreds that were carrying papers and things like that, you know, I began way back in, in, uh, Oh, the 70s, 70, I'm going to say 74, 5, somewhere in that area, uh, as a breed rep for the National Plot Hound Association. And, and on a few occasions, we had to pull papers on dogs that were obviously papered dogs, you know. the, the yes, and, and I think what people maybe fail to realize about registries, okay, the only business that those companies have really the product that they have to sell is records now if you're selling a record of something like a dog's ancestry it should be accurate it shouldn't yes, be falsified it shouldn't be inaccurate because then it becomes it's not worth the paper it's written on exactly. so starting way back you know as as a breed representative Later, as a field representative for UKC, and then ultimately, you know, going there to work full time and running the coonhound department in in three different registries, you know, I took that 
honesty and integrity and, uh, you know, sportsmanship and all of those things very, very seriously. And I, I'm not trying to, you know, toot my horn. I remember, and I've told the incident back in, uh, when I was in the military in Texas hunting a little blue tick female for the guys there that would take me coon hunting, take me to the hunts, and I was placing her every hunt I went to. I'd win my cast. She was a, a really nice little dog. And talking about maybe why didn't the owner breed her to a, a famous blue tick stud dog of that day because their pedigrees were compatible. And being laughed at, by by him saying, well, that's not her pedigree. I have no idea what she's out of. We put those papers on her so we could run her in the night hunt. And so wow. immediately the red flags went up with me. I'm not going to do this. I am not going to hunt this dog on false papers. It's not me. It's not in my name. I'm just a handler. I'm not going to do it. Because it goes against the grain of the way I was raised, and my personal uh, integrity is the word. Mm-hmm. Now, some people, that doesn't mean very much. And, and what worries me is I'm hearing more and more that that integrity really doesn't count for much, you know? Um, so you use the rules to your advantage. I used to hear Roy Tramble, and it's a guy I revere a lot because Roy worked with me at when I was at UKC. He would hold, although he was a PKC man and Jarvis Humphrey's right-hand man, but he would hold RQEs there at Burnham, Kentucky at his club. And Roy and I had many, many phone conversations before I went to work for PKC. And then many more after I worked with him and he became president of PKC. And then even after um, that, I, you know, I went to AKC, he was very helpful to me, especially in one situation. But, but Roy, you know, he, um, he always held to that, you know, that you got to be honest about this, this game. You know, you you can't go out there and just vote what helps your dog. And I've heard him say that so many times, and I, I honor his memory because he was a great man that I respected very much, it is that, you know, if you go out there and you go blind on a tree, eh, that's okay. Let him look for his own coon, you know. If he gets his, we've all, yeah, absolutely. But is it right? Doesn't it say that it's an honor system? Doesn't it say that the majority of the cast in a hunting jug situation needs to see that coon? And if the guy's sitting over there on his hands with his light off, is he trying to see that coon? Won't he want everybody in that cast to be shining when his dog's got first tree? You know, that's, it was once said to me that integrity is what you do when nobody else is looking. And, you know, and we brought up a lot. That's a good point. Yeah. (laughs) And lately, and I'm going to get off my stump and let you talk, Daniel, but, but those kind of things, you know, do you walk into a tree with a thermal and determine that it's slick, you know, you've been sent to a separate tree and move 
look around and find you one with some heat in it and slide your dog over there. Is is that okay? Is that all right? I I, I don't think so. I mean, no, I I do not agree with that at all. Now, the use of the thermals, I'm okay with that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you have to verify what you found, that coon with the thermal. You're going to have to be able to show him to the judge or to the cast members with your light. Or whatever your squalor, whatever you yeah. use. Yeah. Um, now well, I have me, no as, problem as with the third. Mm-hmm. I, I don't like the idea of sending a cast member alone to the dog to leash them up just for situations like that. If I'm yeah. in, I want somebody to go with me because I'm not going to have that blamed on me that hey, I'm going to go over here and leash my dog up. You know, tie him up on the tree because he's split treed and mm-hmm. come back over there. Well, you know, I would assign somebody to go with them to make sure that was the case. That they didn't shine the tree, that they just leased their dog up and come back to us. Yeah. Well, and, you know, you, and I won't, yeah. I like somebody going with me in that same situation. Sure. To the tree to do that. Sure. Sure. Um, but, well, it's hard. It's just like fishermen. You know, fishermen are, are have the reputation of being liars. <laughs> and there's an example that I use, and I know that it, this is probably overstating, but. How many times at the end of a cast and somebody's dog is treed in there after the hunting time and he goes and gets his dog and comes back to the cast, how many times have you heard a coon hunter say, he didn't have anything, it was slick? What's he going to say? 99.9%. He had a coon. He had a litter of coons. He had a den, but the coon was looking out. The- <laughs> can't resist it. They can't resist it, you know, because it's just, it's a matter of pride, a lot of it, you know, because we're, you know, we don't want to admit that we've got a dog like I got right now that trees more blanks than he does. Uh, with eyes, and that's a whole different subject for someday. I want to I want to have a podcast and talk about these uh, thyroid dogs because I found out that that's what I've got, but uh, I don't know enough about it yet to really comment on it. But but no, back on the integrity thing. I mean, if everybody was just simply honest and just simply tried to learn the rules and went by the rules and did not try to force the issue on behalf of their own dog. Wouldn't that be a wonderful world? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it yeah. would. Um, sometimes when you get out there in that, that competition set in the atmosphere, you kind of get, you know, you get competitive if you got that competitive edge to you. It just depends on how, how far you push that competitive edge and, Stuff like that, you know. Mm-hmm. That, well, but as far as integrity, could it be a, a overall um, a overview of society nowadays in general? Oh, I think so. Absolutely. No accountability. People are not accountable for their actions today. You know, That's- Ella taught school. She'd have a kid misbehaving. She'd say, Johnny, I need you to stop that. It wasn't me. No, she'd say, or or they'd say, I didn't do anything. And she <laughs> says, son, I, I was looking at you. I saw you. 
And he'd say, it wasn't me. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's just no accountability. And it starts at a very young age, you know. It's built, bore, we talked about our the spiritual side of things. I guess it started in the Garden of Eden, you know. Adam said Eve's the one that made him eat that eat that fruit. Yep. You know, the Bible doesn't say it was an apple, but it, it, the fruit, you know, the forbidden fruit. Well, well, the woman is the one that made me do it. You know? <laughs> oh, yeah, my. there's always that blame shift when you're getting mm-hmm. in trouble. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, well, that's but, uh, say for instance, like my kids, <clears throat> my my kids. If they say yes or no to me, I'm going to flip out on them because it better be followed by a yes, sir, or a no, sir. It you, better be you followed live in by the a South, sir. And that's the way we were raised. Yes, sir. Yes, sir, we were. <laughs> so, um, you know, I try to hedge, uh, hedge around my kids to a certain extent to keep from that, re- that rebellious just – Oh, yeah. attitude that kids nowadays have that I would be like, you know what? If I did what you did, my daddy would have tore my butt up. Oh yeah, it's a, it's, it's a different it's a different <laughs> world because I still believe you know I I have given my my kids a, their fair share of I say spankings you know but I'm not oh, I yeah. don't beat my kids but there comes to be there's got to be there's just too many kids nowadays that don't have no discipline. Well, we know it starts at home, but then as we get to be adults, you know, babies are cute. Everybody loves a little baby and they can, you can tolerate a baby crying in church and disturbing your meal in the restaurant a little bit. May not like it, but you know, it's a baby. But when that baby's 45 years old and comes in the clubhouses and kicking chairs over and, <laughs> <laughs> and cried about yeah. getting cheated, you know. It, it's a whole different ball game there, you know. And yeah, that's uh, worse. That's worse when you got a forty-five-year-old baby. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, you know, over the years, I've always tried to put a positive face on our sport. When I knew on the underbelly, there was a lot of things there that needed to be changed, you know. But my point, I guess, is that I think the registries definitely need to step up a little bit, take a harder line on some of the people that do break the rules. I know that they do from time to time bar people. Uh, I, I've always been a rules guy. I've always been of the opinion, if these rules don't mean something, why did we print them? Why, why do we go to the effort of having a rules committee or board of directors meet to change or establish rules and all if they're not worth the paper they're written on. So, you know, but my job was to interpret rules and to enforce those rules. But we had, you know, certain, and, and back something you said earlier, and I meant to comment on it. There's some guys, as you said, that always, if they lose, they got cheated. You know, somebody mm-hmm. cheated them. That's the only reason they lost. Well, there are procedures in place in every registry's rules to handle those situations through votes, through asking, you know, putting questions on the card, through putting up money for uh, 
questions and appeals and all those kind of things. There are procedures right there to go through. There's absolutely zero reason for anybody to lose their temper in a night hunt or to get bent out of shape or whatever because, you know, there are provisions there to handle your grievance no matter what it is. And uh, so that I don't have much patience with people that come in and say, you know, I got cheated. Well, how did you get cheated? Did you know the rules? Well, yeah. Well, did you apply the rules? Because obviously you didn't because, you know, you would be sitting here in front of a panel or a master of hounds right now if you had known the rules and known what your your rights were, you know. Let's say that's a lot of the issue right there is a lot of them don't know the rules. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, I had that, that instance come up um, last year. It was about a year ago, exactly, um, in a UKC hunt where the guy, his dog was there at that tree. I done withdrawn. I withdrew because it was a double header. And I'll tell you this, on the early round, I'd done something I had never done before and I've never done since. But I was in the process of helping a guy shine his tree, and I completely got disoriented and forgot where I was, and I stepped right off the creek bank, and I looked down, and I'm going, I'm just falling. I'm free falling. Oh, and I hit a, I hit the root, and I rolled over, and I landed in the water. I got soaking wet. And so when it got time to the late round, I really wasn't feeling it a whole <laughs> lot. <laughs> you know, I didn't started getting sore in my ribs. Mm. And so I went ahead, I withdrew my dog. And one of the guys that was on the cast, he was kind of wanting to be a little bit of a butt. You know, he was, he was striking, he struck my dog start off with and stuff like that. Well, it got down to the end and he didn't, uh, he did not know the rule that if his dog come into that tree and that tree was minus even though he was struck in and his dog was there he still got to go in for a quarter minus Mm -hmm. so he thought he was about to have 25 plus points because he took 75 minus on that tree and i'm like man you got to go in for 25 also 25 minus tree points he was like oh he got all bent out of shape and i flipped you know score actually i had the ukc uh, rule book normally i keep it with me when i'm in the woods because i have mm-hmm. so much stuff highlighted and underlined and in parentheses and additional notes in the back of it and stuff <laughs> you're like one that. of those guys huh <laughs> oh yeah and so i pulled that little you know i pulled the ukc book out and i'm like it says right here your dog was at this tree but not declared treed when the judge arrived this he was the judge i'm like you that dog was here when we showed up mm-hmm. now it shows that this tree we, me and another guy, we both, the guy voted to minus his own tree. Mm-hmm. And apparently he knew the rule too, because that was going to give the judge 25 plus. And so I was like, man, you got to go in for 25 minus because you're at this tree and you ain't declared tree. And this tree's minus. It was legit minus. He wanted mm-hmm. to argue that it could have been, but it was minus. It, it was slick as slick could be. And so, um, and then when he realized that he had to go in for 25 minus, he flipped out. And I'm like, dude, that's your own fault. You should have known beforehand that when you went into this tree, if that dog was there, even though you wasn't treated in, yeah. you was going to have to, um, you're going to take something. Well, that's slick. what separates the hand, the good handlers from the, the also-rans or the guys that know. 
what they need on that tree. They know what the situation is. They know what they're going to get, uh, you know, and uh, before it ever is scored, they know, you know, what what the, the score is, so to speak. But, yeah, yeah, I remember, you know, having chaired the Rules Committee at UKC for all those years, about 16 years, I think, in a row. Uh, you know, you know the reasons, you remember the nights those things were discussed and how they went into the rules and why they went in, into the rules and all that. Dogs treed but not declared treed when cast rival be minus on off game or slick tree. Mm-hmm. That's what it says. All right, Daniel, we have done, a, a, I think, a fair job here of rambling all oh, yeah. over the country like a guy yeah, jumps on a, his horse and rides off in all directions. We, we left a lot, of, a lot of meat on the table. Well, you got anything was, you want to go back and chew it? We'll, that was one thing we, I wanted to ask you about. Yeah, because yeah, you mentioned, you know, not, not getting like the, going after the superstars and stuff like that as far as interviews and I'm surprised nobody has really reached out to Scott Engel because I'm curious, is there anybody over the last 20, 25 years that has won as much as Scott Engel? Well, I don't know. That would certainly be uh, a, a good question. And I did do an article on Scott uh, on the Mojo Dogs. Terry Walker, the publisher of American Cooner, Full Cry, Rabbit Hunter, and The Hunter's Horn, uh, and a very good friend. Uh, put allows me to write a couple articles each month in Cooner, asked me to do an article on the Mojo Dogs uh, after the Goose Dog won the PKC World Hunt because he's a, a Mojo bred dog, uh, actually mm -hmm. a, out of Mason, I believe. But um, so I did, and I did that a couple issues back uh, two or three months ago. Uh, but, uh, yeah, yeah, that's quite a story right there. And, uh uh, Ingalls has certainly been around a long time and uh, ha has done an awful lot of winning for sure. But, hey, you uh, know, Mr. Steve, I'll put this out there and it'll it'll hear more people going out on your platform. Um, you know, Josh Michaelis has talked about the, the most perfect dog he's seen within a two hour cast was Big Country. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I heard him mine, say that. Mine would be at the AKC World Hunt in Newberry, mm -hmm. um, and Buck Creek, Mister Smith. That's mine. <laughs> you the know, I tell you what, I was at at that was his second, second world championship. That was his second world championship. I mm -hmm. was not in the woods with him. Jerry was out there in the woods, <laughs> walking the his one? guts out in the first one. Oh, up okay. in Chillicothe, Ohio. And uh, Mr. Smith put on a clinic that night in that world hunt. I think he, he treated three single he treated three single coons that night. I'm trying to think the other dog I, one of the dogs in that cast was a brandy female that was owned by Roger Williamson from up in Michigan. I remember Brandy being on that cast. And right now the name of the other dog and I'll probably remember as soon as we hit the uh, stop button on this recording, but um, Smith put on a show that night, too. That was one tough little little hound. Tell us about that. Were you out there on the cast? 
Oh, yeah. That was a long time ago now, Mr. Steve. I done put some age on since Come then. on, man. I'm 75. <laughs> I don't, I, I, um, I remember where we were hunting, and uh, I'm trying to think of all the dogs because I'll be honest. I was one of the judges with Kevin Self and um, Tracy Fincher. Yeah. But honestly, I was more of a spectator, really. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I was a judge. Were... Yeah. I had a purpose, but I was still kind of in awe. It's like, I cannot believe I'm out here on the final four of a <laughs> world hunt. And, and so, um, I don't remember how all that went down. Oh, yeah. I remember Buck yeah. Creek. I, he was, he was flawless. I do remember it was, he was kind of doing his thing. I'm trying to remember if there was one, there was, might've been one time, I think two dogs backed him, on, but it was just pretty much him where mm-hmm. we were hunting at. Steve O'Dell was the guide and we were hunting over yeah. there near Silver Street and, uh, Buck Creek, Mr. Smith just went in there and just did business. He just went in there and went coon hunting is what he did. Yeah, well, he won the AKC World Championship two times. Not back-to-back, but he won it twice. And, uh, you know, he was owned by by Larry Weaver in Ohio and handled by Don Dunlap. Right. And uh, Don and Chuck, his brother, have been longtime coon hunters, respected coon hunters there in Ohio. Had a lot of good dogs down through the years. Chuck's known as a, being an excellent dog man and starting mm-hmm. dogs, starting puppies and all that. But uh, Don, uh, yeah, he well, what uh, was impressive. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't want no, to no, no, go, Why are you talking go, about Don? No, no, no. That's um, all. The, what was impressive is the fact that he was like um, an out-of-state dog. That, mm-hmm. where, where was he from? Ohio? Ohio. Mm-hmm. Okay. That year when they held it in Newberry, I had so many dogs that would be on cast throughout that whole week that would be from like up north somewhere and they would hit a deer and they would go and go and go. And it was like, man, we have deer where we're from, but our dogs, they don't have to go far. Do they fall off on a coon? And I'm like, right. you're hunting into something national forest with a deer dog, man. You forget that. <laughs> I like, yeah, I like, yeah. it might fall off on a coon but he's gonna be it he's might be, be pretty wow deep. huh yeah and so yeah. there was a bunch of dogs i'm pretty sure they were coon dogs mm-hmm. to some extent but they would they would take off on junk and they would go but mr smith he did none of that well he was in hills there in chillcothy you know and around steep hills around oh uh, probably strip mines and things like that but uh i remember that he just really dominated that cast. You know, I, I, I memory serves he treed three coons on that cast. Uh, that I think that's night. what he treed on the, the other one. Yeah. It was either three or four the second go round when it was in Newberry. Yeah. Larry Weaver, but, tremendous guy from Ohio. Um, known him for a long time. He uh, eventually bought the Mill Creek Molly female that. Chris Allen hunted for Allen Wilson for several years in PKC, and she was the all-time money leader at the time that I, I got a puppy out of her and her and Silver Dollar Stone. And David McKee hunted with her several times. I called her Kelly. But anyway, Larry Weaver, uh, first-class gentleman, uh, went up and pleasure hunted with Larry uh, one year after Thanksgiving and uh, 
just had a great time. But yeah, that uh, that was some great history. You know, we really drew some good dogs to those AKC uh, World Hunts back in that day. We were putting good money up, you know, uh, and it was drawing the top dogs in the country. And uh, uh, you know, I can oh, yeah. mention several of them, but. Uh, yep. We had the hunts there at Newberry, and we had them in Orangeburg, and kind of changed the time of year on some of those hunts. And uh, it was a good time. I enjoyed my AKC years. Uh, I was seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, though, when I was there and did retire in 2011 from AKC. But uh, wish that program had really uh, gone on and gone forward because, like we mentioned before, I think they, you know, the rules were really good. Uh, we sat down, coon hunters sat down and wrote those mm-hmm. rules from scratch, and uh, and they worked. They worked, uh, and we we got to see a lot of good dogs working. That you boys in South Carolina were good to me uh, back in those days by putting on some good world hunts. Oh yeah, yeah, sure. we have fun. Oh, we yeah. have fun. Yeah. I tell you that world hunt, the one in Newberry, when I sat down and. Um, Barry Kitty was presenting a, a question or he was presenting some, something to the panel. Yeah. That right there, when I listened to Barry Kitty present his his uh, question, how he wanted to do it, that it changed my outlook on how I would present a question from then on. Smooth. Um, if you have ever, if anybody <laughs> has ever listened to Barry Kitty present a question, if they listen to that Wipeout podcast on Coon Hunt University, yeah. the yeah. smoothness of which he speaks. He should have been a lawyer because he can present the oh, question. Oh, he was and very it's, it's best at a panel. It, <laughs> he it, could work any, a panel like Perry Mason, man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Barry Kitty is the best at that. I've yeah. never sat down and listened to anybody with a panel that would put it forward like Barry Kitty. He yeah. would, the, he, the way he presented it. it Barry's was, a good like, guy that I like very much. And uh, talk to him a lot of times. I haven't had a conversation with him in quite a while now. I need to do that. But I, I tremendously enjoyed that series of podcasts with, with Mike Ferguson and and Barry and and Billy Bell. Know all those guys, you know. And uh, that's been I've been just so blessed, Daniel, uh, over the years. You know, starting way back. Uh, and carrying right on. That's why I do these podcasts is just to kind of keep in the circle, you know, just kind of keep yes, my hand in a little bit and get to see the people I enjoy seeing and talk to people like you. And and it's all good. It's all good. Well, let's talk. Let's tell the the uh, the listeners a little bit about how to do podcasts. I know there's got to be some guys out there, and we've said now, if we're being honest with ourselves, we've said we don't mind the competition. We like as long as it presents the coon hunting uh, sport in a positive light. Uh, how much is involved in putting together your podcast? Uh, you're you're doing a what a biweekly now or a weekly? Yes, yeah, so I do a just because uh, one I I don't have I'm not being bombarded with a lot of stories, so I'm having to seek them out, and I'm. You know, so I went to doing bi-weekly, so that would give me time because I work a full-time job. I run this feed store, and then figuring out editing on the podcast, that's the hardest part, really. 
because um, I've made the comment before. I'm just a redneck who tried to who figured this stuff out, man. That's it. Um, I got a laptop. I bought a microphone, and um, I went and started recording and started doing some stuff. And I sat down. Uh, I played around with the program that I use. Uh, it's Audacity. I mean, I'll I tell you that. I use Audacity. And um, I, I started the editing part of it. That's the hardest part. I mean, I I got mad respect for Shannon, the way she does all those for W. Yeah. I, I'm assuming she does all those. Yes, she does. Absolutely. And, you know, for the April Fool's episode that they put together, <laughs> the quickness with which she – um. She made the Houndsman XP. Like she redid that whole with the clips that they had made in that show, <laughs> and then went back and redid. It, it would have took me a day to do that and line, make sure it was lined up. And she like whipped it up out of nowhere. And so that's talent right there because it it really took time to learn how to do it. That's the that's the hardest part, you know, as far as if you want to start a podcast, is the editing. And going for because I still don't know a lot about audio quality as far as like audio and I read some stuff and it makes no sense to me about right. um uh like when it starts talking about stuff being um dry and wet and I'm like you lost me already because the one thing I know about <laughs> is like land when you start when yeah. <laughs> but yeah um, well that's it, it you know I I learned terms like clipping i didn't know what clipping was and that was just you know over mm-hmm. uh just too much volume on your mic you know and uh well you know i've been fortunate myself because i right. don't do any production on my podcast you know i and, and that's been i have been blessed that way my whole career of having great people on staff that could do things that i could think up you know, yes, I could think up and say, we ought to do this. Well, there was always somebody who said, well, okay, I can do that. And, uh, you know, when I was with Houndsman XP, Chris Powell did all the production. You know, we we recorded the uh, episodes, and then he did the production work. And I assume that he's still doing that. I don't know, but I think he is. I'm not sure. And then we posted it on the Sportsman's uh, Podcast Network. You know, which you have to have a, as you understand, an RSS feed and all to get this stuff mm-hmm. on the internet. So I don't know any of that stuff. I can talk the terms with you all day, but when right. it comes to sit down and doing that hands on, no. What I do is I record. I learned how to use the recording equipment. I bought uh, a recorder that I, I, this is the second uh, type that I've had. I use the Zoom brand. I think you have one too. Uh, I used, uh, I had what was called a, oh, a Zoom 4N, I think was the first one I had. Uh, and then this uh, PodTrack P4 for doing the remote stuff. And then, of course, we do some of it online through a podcast platform, much like, you know, teachers out there know how they do the Zoom calls or, or the work calls they did uh, during the pandemic uh and and you know we can record them that way but uh that part of it and saying you know i'd like this to go here or that to go there that's about all i do <laughs> about it you know i i uh, there's a little bit of con- computer savvy that that i need to know like how to transfer my files off from the 
recorder onto my laptop, how to put yes, them sir. in a Dropbox so that Shannon out there can pick them up and, and do her magic, you know. But uh, uh, podcasting yeah. is basically getting good equipment that gives you, you know, that sound that everybody's looking for, that, you know, broadcast quality sound and you and i are talking via telephone tonight and uh yeah i'm actually speaking into my microphone i have you um bluetoothed into my device also yeah and it sounds real good on my end but yeah so i don't know what would be our advice to your advice to somebody just getting started in uh, thinks they have uh, a voice for it maybe or they think they have enough stories or they just want to do it, what would you tell them? The main thing is the RSS feed. Once you get your RSS feed and getting verified through all the platforms, um, I don't know why I haven't gotten verified through Pandora yet. I've tried two or three, three times now and I haven't gotten, I've been waiting on that email back from them and it just, but getting verified with Apple, Google, Spotify, all of them, Mm-hmm. Um, it's going through that stuff. It, it, it's time consuming, but it's, I'm not going to say it depends on which platform they use to, that, that they're going to get their RSS feed from. For instance, I use Buzzsprout and Buzzsprout kind of makes it easy to get verified. They make it easier. I put it that way to get verified on each individual platform. And there's a lot of copy paste and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And then you, as far as like releasing an episode, because Apple will actually listen, a person will listen to that podcast and verify it. I see. So it, it takes a little time. It takes about a week or two, maybe about a week with Apple or Google. Once you, you can, cause I had to publish an episode. I had to put something together and publish it just right. to get verified. Correct. And then I pulled it. Once I got verified with everything, I pulled that episode back mm-hmm. off the, off of there. So, um, people couldn't hear it. Well, w- before we get too nerdy here, as I've heard said on podcasts before and, you know, and really lose our listeners, you know, a podcast is nothing more than a conversation that's recorded and put it in, into a format that can be streamed on the Internet and Correct. and played through your device, whether it's a phone, a computer, a, a tablet or, or whatever. And, uh, and, you know, and they're available through podcast player apps out there like Apple Podcasts or Spotify or those kind of things. And mm-hmm. our listeners here, obviously, they know all that or they wouldn't be hearing what we're saying. But it's sure. just that, and I've said this several times, you know, down through the years, I always wanted to have a coon hunting radio show. But to do that, you would have to get syndication, you know, you'd have to have advertisers, you'd have to buy uh, time through all these stations all around the country and all that. And lo and behold, here comes Al Gore and invents the Internet and provide, <laughs> if you believe that, and yeah. invents a way for us rednecks, as you said, Daniel, to get on here and talk about coon dogs. Man, it's a beautiful thing, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's actually like what led me to want to do it. Um, is because I would listen to each one that would come out every week and I'd be out of content 
and I was like, I was looking for something else to another yeah. coon hunting show to listen to. And yeah. it was like, you know, it's not never has been like a competition, but it's always just been uh for me it's just about like issuing more content because I listen to all the others. Oh, I do too. And do too. and once it's like once those are gone, I'm looking for something else, another podcast to mm-hmm. listen to. Mm-hmm. And so that's just it, you know, if somebody's got that if they want to try it then the only thing is just to jump in head first and and do it if that's what you're going to do right right and because a lot of them i talked about it for a year before i actually done it and i'm glad i i'm glad i waited because it took i i, I was i was always de- debating on what type of how i wanted to do a coon hunting show how i wanted to talk about it and then once that other came in about, and I'm like, that's it right there. That is all <laughs> me. That's, I was like, that's, that's got my name written all over it. And that's what kind of pushed me. Um, I, I guess I kind of had the mindset, well, if I don't do it, somebody else is. And, or somebody yeah. else eventually will. Yeah. I've had the idea years and years and years ago, I wanted to strap cameras onto a dog. And send them through the woods, and then GoPro <laughs> comes out and stuff yeah, like that. Then oh, people yeah. already do it, and I'm like, yeah. I never did do it. Yeah, I'm like, man, right. I should have done that. But, yeah, that's right. Um, well, what? It, let's tell our listeners. Can you give us just a little sneak preview of what your next episode that they can see uh, coming down the down the two? Oh, you said this one will be in two weeks, so that um, will be ep- two to three weeks, something like that. This episode is going to air on about the 25th of April. All right. Um, we just did an interview with a gentleman out of Arkansas who was, he's friends with one of the earlier guy from Arkansas that we interviewed. And that's how he kind of put those two together. And man, he had, he's got really good stories and it's kind of like in that area it involves um possibly some bigfoot possibly and definitely like the orbs and stuff like that the lights is it, it and i'm i'm steve i'm gonna tell you this i might make some people mad because i'm gonna leave a cliffhanger at the end of episode nine going into episode 10 <laughs> so it's gonna be like a to be continued and i'm gonna leave it hanging i hate people that do that <laughs> I know, but I know, but I'm feeling like I was like, well, maybe that'll like you know really want them to hear episode ten when it comes out. But it, uh, he's had a lot of sight in some stuff. Man, I, some animals, some animals he's seen or that shouldn't even be in North America. And uh, let's see, he has some incidents with some some lights, and I'm I don't want to give too much of that away, but there's a graveyard included and all kind of stuff like that. But we talked coon hunting too, just like the last episode that we that just came out yesterday on the 13th. Um, that gentleman he actually had posted a comment on a thread on UKC, and I ended up getting in touch with him and. He, there was a lot that I had to edit out of that conversation just to try to keep it within an hour, an hour, you. 15 minutes. He's the one like that. that talked about the Dover lights and so forth. Uh, not, not the one on episode, the one that just come out. He was, um, he hunts blue ticks. He was stationed okay. in the, he was in the Navy and he was stationed in down in Charleston. And mm-hmm. he had some, um, episode where there was a T 
tall figure going looking oh, it was okay. a foggy night okay. and he could <laughs> and so you know that was the one that just come out and so he had uh, he talked a lot about we talked a lot about coon hunting and um just um we talked competition coon hunting and there was a lot of stuff i had to edit out and um we actually called him back up because i when we got off the phone all three of us was like man we're stupid we should have talked more about his blue ticks and found out more about the blue dogs and stuff like that. So we actually called him <laughs> back and, and recorded a, a, another yeah. part of it. And I went back and I kind of like fit it in. So you can't tell it when you listen mm-hmm. to that episode, but that was actually two different recordings put together. And he had a, a lot of, I, I say knowledge, but he had a lot of good stories as far yeah. as like competition yeah. hunting and stuff like that. Well, so, we're going to have to, Daniel, as much as I hate to do it, we've already passed the two-hour point on this podcast. Oh, man. I hope I didn't give Shannon a whole lot to edit out. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> I tell you what, we kind of like, we're kind of uh, organic uh, on the DU platform. We kind of just let the recording go, and uh, and when it, when it starts, it starts, and when it ends, it ends. And I just hit the mic, so there's probably something she'll have to take out but uh anyway it's been great having you on daniel and we're going to do it again and uh, talk about some of these uh weird things that go bump in the night out there when we're trying to coon hunt um oh yeah you know i I definitely have my share i wanted to talk about a few things that have scared me down through the years but uh I don't think they were, I think it was just more natural things, you know, that are easily explained. But uh, uh, anyway, Daniel Felker, what's the name of your podcast again and how do we get it, Daniel? On all platforms other than Pandora, if they Google Houndstooth Podcast or not Google, oh, golly, that's such a habit of saying that. If they search for uh, Houndstooth Podcasting Network, and my show will be Coon Hunting Confidentials. And like I said, we're wanting to evolve that to include more shows outside of Coon Hunting. But um, as far as Coon Hunting Confidentials go, as long as there's stories and people to talk to has got crazy stories like that, then that's that'll be the show that I stick with and that I you know I host primarily. If if Dustin and Ryan decided they didn't want to do it tomorrow. I would be, you know, I, I would still try to carry it on because I want to, I want to hear them, them, those stories that yeah. are you're gonna be unexplainable li- stuff. You'll be like my dad. He'd start to tell a story. My mother would say, you've told that story a dozen times. He said, I know it, but I want to hear it again myself. So <laughs> maybe that's so, the way know. it is with you, Daniel. Well, listen, it's been delightful to have you, buddy. I hope to see you at a hunt sometime. I don't know, man. When that will be, it may maybe next year at Grand American. But uh, anyway, uh, I, I wish you the best of luck with your podcast. Tell the guys hello. Keep the keep the fun stuff coming. I'll be listening, and I'm sure our listeners after hearing this podcast will be doing the same. But listen, if somebody asks you where I am, where Steve Field, or you just tell them he's gone to the dogs.